evidence and answers. Tune to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zukran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the arena of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Each year, Pat hosts an apologetics conference located in beautiful Hawaii. Today, we will hear from our host, Pat Zukran, with a message from the 2018 conference entitled The Great Disconnect. If you're unable to hear this entire broadcast, all of our messages are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now, here's our host, Pat Zukran, with the message entitled, The Great Disconnect. Now, what is the source of this great disconnect that creates this kind of schizophrenic kind of Christianity? Well, one of the main factors Greg talked about tonight is that we often have an incomplete understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Greg mentioned when he asked people, what is Christianity? And when I ask people all over the country, what is Christianity? Many say, well, it's about my relationship with God or the road to eternal life. And although, as Greg said, this answer is not wrong, it's an incomplete definition and unfortunately, one that has led to a misunderstanding creating this disconnect in the mind of many believers in Christ. We have come to believe that Christianity is solely about my spiritual life only, or my personal walk with God, or religious truth. But when it comes to the rest of the world, then it does not apply. Christianity is about my private life, but when it comes to the public arena, it has nothing to say. Or we've made what Nancy Piercy calls the secular and sacred split. You know, this was displayed when I was in Austin. Every so many years, they have a debate there at the Capitol in Austin, Texas, over the science curriculum that goes into the public schools. And each year, the scientists who are Christian are there presenting their case, not that necessarily they have to preach Genesis or anything, but just that there are some serious flaws in Darwin's theory of evolution that show the system does not work. And can we just present the flaws? Well, on the other side, you have the naturalist, all right, the scientists who don't believe there is a God, and they continue, their criticism is that these guys here are Christians and all they want is religion and they belong in the religion department, not in the science department. Okay? And it's a pretty hostile debate that goes back and forth between these scientists. Well, in the middle of all of this, a pastor from First Baptist got to the podium, and he said, this debate should not be happening at all. Christianity is all about religion and personal faith. It has nothing to do with science. And therefore, this debate should not be happening at all. It does not belong here. Christianity is all about your private walk with God. And when it comes to science, it has nothing to say. And all the atheists stood up and thundered in applause for the pastor. Now, there you show, there's the disconnect. You see, he was thinking Christianity is only about my personal walk with God. And when it comes to the rest of the real world, it doesn't apply. Most Christians, and I for a long time, failed to understand Christianity is not just about my relationship with God. It is much more. As Greg shared tonight, 
It's an all-embracing worldview. It's the story of reality. Christianity applies to every area of reality, the culture and the world around us. And we have failed to understand that our faith is an all-embracing worldview, not just about religious truth, but all truth that applies to all facets of God's creation. And this has shortchanged our faith and inhibited our ability to impact our culture and our world for Christ. In fact, George Barna, in one of his great books, did a survey amongst evangelical churches. Okay, these are good Bible teaching churches, and some of the conclusions he came to were quite stunning. He discovered that only 10% of people who profess Christ actually have a biblical worldview. Only 2% of Christian teenagers have a biblical worldview. And what was more shocking is less than 50% of pastors have a biblical worldview. Is it any wonder why we're having such a limited impact on the culture when we're thinking just like the culture? Instead of being salt and light, we've been salted and licked. Instead of transforming the culture, the culture is transforming us. Now, how do we fix the problem here? Well, we need to first come to an understanding that Christianity is an all-embracing worldview. So let's begin by answering, what is a worldview? And Greg did a great job of describing the story of reality, or what is a worldview? It's the all-embracing story of all of reality. A worldview, it's a set of presuppositions or beliefs we assume to be true about the basic makeup of the world around us. It's the glasses that we wear and how we experience everything around us, how we interpret all that we experience around us. Okay? Our worldview shapes our view of reality. Everyone has a worldview, whether you can explain it or not. And we are faced with a supermarket of worldviews, competing worldviews, all of them claiming to be true. Now, worldviews are the foundation of all religions and philosophies that are out there. As Greg shared tonight, the worldviews answers the big questions of life that we all ask. Okay? And a person's worldview can be identified by the eight big questions in life that we all ask. Number one, what is reality? Two, is there a God? And what is he like? Three, what explains the origin and the existence of the universe? Why is it here? How did it get here? Next, what is the nature of man? Is he simply chemistry and cased in flesh? Does he have an immaterial soul and spirit? What is the nature of man? Next, what is truth? And how do we discover it? Or do we create it? Next, what happens to a person after death? They go six feet under and that's it? Or is there something immaterial that survives the physical death of the body? How do you know right from wrong? How do you determine what's right and what's wrong? Is there a universal moral ethical system that all humans must abide by? 
Or is it might makes right? The strongest, most influential culture determines the rules. How do you determine right and wrong? What's the meaning of human history and our existence here? Hey, those are the eight big questions of life that we all ask. And if you want to know someone's worldview, you simply ask those questions. When I'm in a foreign country and I'm talking to someone and I'm not sure what he believes, I simply ask these eight questions and I get a good idea of what his beliefs and his worldviews are. Now, there are three major worldviews. Okay? The first one is theism. Okay? There's a personal God who created all things. The second one is naturalism or atheism. Okay? The universe is all that exists. There is no spiritual realm. There is no God. Man does not have a soul. There's no heaven or hell. The physical universe is all that there is. And finally, pantheism. Pan means all. Theism means God. As you see in the illustration there, the hand is in the globe. God is the universe, and the universe is God. God is not a personal being in pantheism. God is the cosmic energy of the universe, okay? like the force in Star Wars. God is not a he or she. God is a it, the cosmic energy of the universe. The universe is God, and God is the universe. Now, these are the basic three worldviews, and they form the foundation of all the philosophies and religions that are out there in the world. Name an ideology, name a religion, it's built on one of these three worldviews. Theism is the foundation of the great monotheistic religions of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. A naturalism or atheism is the foundation of philosophies like socialism, Darwinian evolutionary theories, Southern Buddhism, and other systems. Pantheism is the foundation of the Eastern religions, Taoism, okay, Northern Buddhism, Hinduism, New Age, okay, Transcendental Meditation, and others. Those are the three basic worldviews that are the foundation of all belief systems. Now, an important point to note, all three cannot be true at the same time. Okay, if one of them is true, the other two must be false. Hey, this is the law of non-contradiction. Opposites cannot be true at the same time and in the same way. And since these worldviews are saying contradictory and contrary things, they cannot all be true at the same time. One of them is true, then the other two are false. And if your foundational premise is false, the conclusions you ultimately are going to come to are going to be false. For example, if you're flying from L.A. to Hawaii, and you're two degrees off, well, at first it's not so bad, okay? But as you get deeper and deeper into and farther into the Pacific Ocean, the more and more off target you're going to be. So if your foundational premise is false, then the conclusions you ultimately come to will be false. So I want to give you four reasons why understanding worldviews, as Greg talked about tonight, is extremely important for the believer in Christ. First, they are the foundation of all beliefs, values, and behaviors. Okay? They're the foundation of all belief systems that are out there. Second, understanding worldviews is going to enable us to live out our faith fully and consistently. As I mentioned earlier, there is a great 
disconnect. The vast majority of Christians, we, we have a kind of schizophrenic kind of faith. We believe Christianity applies only to our private life, my walk and relationship with God. But when it comes to the public arena, hey, the rest of life, economics, political science, government, art, environment, science, literature, it does not apply. Hey, Christianity is all about me, my devotional life, my prayer life, my worship, and my personal relationship with God. <laughs> but when it comes to everything else, well, it has nothing to say. The reality of our faith is experienced through our private feelings and our experience. But when it comes to the public world or the real world, then the Bible does not apply. And we have made a dangerous dichotomy between the sacred and the secular, or the private and the public. Okay, you see, Christianity is more than a relationship with Jesus expressed in personal devotion, church attendance, Bible study, and good works. It's more than discipleship or believing a system of doctrines about God. A genuine Christianity is a way of seeing and comprehending and understanding the, all of the world around us. As Greg says, it's a way of understanding reality. Christianity, it's a worldview. And we cannot divide the sacred from the secular or the private from the public. But we have to see everything in relation to the lordship of Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis, okay, the man that wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, he was an atheist till later in his life. Then he became one of the great thinkers of Christianity. And he said this, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Famous uh, philosopher Francis Schaeffer, he stated this. He stated, true spirituality covers all reality. The Lordship of Christ covers all of life and all of life equally. Scholar Nancy Piercy says this, Christianity is not a series of truths in the plural, but rather truth spelled with a capital T. Truth about total reality, not just about religious things. Biblical Christianity is truth concerning total reality and the intellectual holding of that total truth and then living in light of that truth. So when you study the sciences, you should be looking at it through the glasses of the Christian worldview. When you study the environment, when you look at government, economics, education, okay, when you watch a movie, you should be looking at it and evaluating it through the glasses of the Christian worldview. Okay, and this is where pastors, Sunday school teachers, parents, uh, this is something we need to equip our people to do. Not too long ago, a great movie came out, Avatar. Hey, how many of you guys saw Avatar? All right, great movie. One of the things I like to do is have a movie discussion on a particular movie. And uh, I took a group of young people, and we saw, you know, college students, and we saw the movie Avatar. Now, the theme of Avatar is what? Environmentalism, right? The Navi live in the Garden of Eden, okay? Why do they live in the Garden of Eden? Because they're pantheists. All right? They worship nature. 
They are one with Awa. All right, Awa is not a person. Awa is the it. It's the force of the planet. Okay, and they live at with one with Awa. That's why they live in a pristine paradise. Now the humans come to the planet and they've got a different worldview. All right, and uh, they just want to exploit the planet for its resources, and they don't understand that we are one with nature and we are one with the universe and all that. Okay, and a great battle goes on in Navi Win. But what's the theme of the whole movie? Well, it's environmentalism. If we want to save the environment, if we want to get back to Eden, what? We got to become pantheists. And so I was talking. I said, "Is that true? If we become pantheists, will we have a pristine, you know, Garden of Eden again?" You know, we discussed it, and half the group said, "Yeah, of course we will." And the other half was like, "Well," and I said, you "Guys, ever been to Calcutta? You guys, been to New Delhi? There are pantheists out there. Hey, you've been there, huh, Clive?" One of the dirtiest cities in the world. That's where pantheism leads. Now, does the Bible have a lot to say about the environment? Absolutely. Who has the best environmental message? We do. The Bible, God's Word, teaches us how to manage God's creation. But you know, those kids were sitting there. They had never heard anyone talk about Christian environmentalism. They were just absolutely stunned that the Bible had anything. To say about the environment, and one young man sitting there, his name was Michael, and he was just fascinated. And he and he said, you know, he said, Dr. Pat, I'm majoring in environmental studies, and I said, fantastic. And he said, I never knew the Bible had anything to say about the environment. I said, go do your senior project on Christian environmentalism. He goes, I've never heard a sermon on it. I've never even read a book on it. You know, and I said, well, there ain't too many out there. Okay. And he said, yeah, I was going to uh, graduate and then go to Bible college. And I said, don't. I said, are you planning to go on graduate school? He said, yeah. I, see. I said, you like environmental studies? He goes, absolutely love it. I said, go get your master's in that. And you know what? Develop a Christian worldview on environmentalism and start teaching it out here in the Philippines. Because I bet you there's no one out here teaching Christian environmentalism. Hey, when I'm speaking on that at the university, the classrooms are packed. They've never heard a guy speaking on Christian environmentalism. They never knew okay, that Christianity applies to science and the environment. But Christianity, it's an all-embracing worldview. It encompasses all the world around us. So understanding worldviews enables us to live out our faith fully. Third, understanding worldviews enables us to be effective in evangelism and sharing our faith. When sharing our faith with the unbelieving world, we often start it in the middle of the story, as Greg said. We often start at the gospel, all right? God loves you, has a wonderful plan for you. Christ died for you, that you can have a relationship with God and eternal life with him. Well, when you're talking to an atheist, what's he say? I don't believe in God. There's no God. There can be no son of God, no word of God, no acts of God. Hey, your story is just a fairy tale. Hey, and it's hard to get the first base with that guy. He dismisses you right away. When you're talking to a pantheist, hey, and you say, God loves you, he has a wonderful plan for your life. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and died for you, and believing in him, you can have eternal life. What does the pantheist say? Thank you. I'll take Jesus too. What else do you want to give me? Okay, there was a church out here in Pro City. A deacon served for many years here out here in Pro City. And uh, when he died, he wanted a Buddhist funeral. And the whole church was like, well, what happened? This guy was a deacon. 
Well, he's come from the pantheist worldview. He just added Jesus because all is one, right? You can't start in the middle. Often, you have to start at worldviews. If a guy doesn't believe in God or he's a pantheist, you first has to establish that we live in a theistic world. We live in a world created by God. And there's a lot of evidence for that. We don't have time to go into all that. Once you establish we live in a theistic universe, now the gospel is going to make sense. If there is a God, there can be a Son of God, a Word of God, and acts of God. Okay? And the story now begins to make sense. So understanding worldviews is going to make you more effective in evangelism. In Acts chapter 17, Paul, this is the second mission trip of Paul. Many believe this is the first mission trip, okay? Because he actually now goes outside the context of Judaism, all right, where people believe in God and have a theistic worldview and have the Old Testament. But now he is in a totally foreign culture, addressing people from a totally different worldview. And there in the book of Acts, he runs into different types of people. He runs into the Epicureans who are naturalists. Okay, they believe the ultimate goal of mankind is pleasure. Right? Then he runs into the Stoics who are pantheists. Okay? And Paul there is a theist. All right? What does Paul do to this group? Right here you have a clash of all three worldviews. What does Paul do when he's addressing this group coming from two different worldviews? Does he start quoting the Bible right away at them? Does he go right into the gospel? No, if you look at Paul's presentation, he begins by establishing the theistic worldview that there is a God who created all things and that we are indeed the, quote, offspring of God. And to booster his argument, he quotes two Greek philosophers, Epimenides and Aratus. Okay, once he establishes that we live in a theistic universe, then he presents the gospel. Because once you establish that we live in a theistic universe, now the gospel's going to make sense. Okay? And as a result, some of the leading scholars there in Athens come to faith in Christ. So understanding worldviews is going to make you more effective in sharing your faith in Christ. When we were in Southeast Asia, in Myanmar, there was a group of great Christians and they shared Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ, with the Buddhists out there. Okay? And if you've seen The Passion of the Christ, it's a great, kind of graphic movie, but a great movie about the crucifixion of Christ. And when you show it in America, you know, people are crying in the pews and, you know, they are just sobbing and weeping, understanding it's our Savior dying for us. All right? In Southeast Asia, in Myanmar, when we're all done, when, they, when this group was done showing the passion, they got a totally different reaction. Okay? And they were completely surprised as they were sharing it with me. I said, well, what reaction did you get? And he said, well, these Buddhists were saying, Jesus must have been an incredibly wicked man to die a death like that because he had a lot of bad karma. He was simply reaping the bad karma that he inherited from a previous life. So he must have been a very, very wicked man. And they were kind of befuddled. They were going, where do we go from here? And I said, well, 
you got to go all the way back to worldviews. Okay, you started in the middle of the story. Okay, as Greg said, you got to go all the way back to the beginning, and you got to establish that there is a God who created the world. They have no understanding of the fall of sin and the need for redemption. So you got to start all the way back from the beginning. Once again, our time has come to a close. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you are interested in having Pat speak at your church or Bible study, or perhaps do a conference, please give him a call, area code 808-483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers relies on generous support, from you, our listeners. To keep this broadcast on the air, you have the opportunity to donate. Head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online on the homepage. We have a wide variety of resources available to you. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. We've also included articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with your family, your friends, and your church. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. Hey, hey, hey.